Well, hi, everybody. And uh, great to be on here on Easter Sunday. Thank you so much for coming. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name's Neil Bartlett, and I'm part of the leadership of the church here, and, and they put up with me. And it is a privilege. It is absolutely wonderful. Uh, whether you normally go to church or not, um, thank you again for coming today. There are lots of reasons that people will be here today. Um, some of you will have been invited by a friend. Some of you, this is what you do. You know, families, it's Easter Day. Hey, it's a special occasion. This is what we do as a family. We go to church. We do the, we do the Easter Sunday thing. For some of you, you know, you might have been bribed. Well, I hope it was worth it. Um, and, and some of you, you know, like me, this is... Where else would I be? This is, this is a great time to celebrate what Jesus has done in my life and to celebrate the truth of Jesus Christ. I love the opportunity of worshipping with his people, learning more about him. So, you know, it would, it, this is where I would be. However, it might be fair to say that, that some of you, you know, this is not your first port of call. This is you're not easy in church and... Um, and I appreciate you being here. And for some, and I, have, I hate to say this, but for some, you may have been bruised, um, hurt in the church. I, look, I know this happens. I, I just get that. I really do. And if that's part of your experience, I want to say I'm sorry about that. I'm, but I really appreciate particularly you coming this Easter Sunday. Well, Good news never comes from a graveyard, but nearly 2,000 years ago it did. And uh, that is the Christian message. That's it, my friends. And the story of Easter stands on two feet. Uh, Otherwise, it doesn't stand. It stands on the feet of truth, and it stands on the feet of relevance. One foot, either foot, truth and relevance, they go hand in hand. If those two don't stack up, this, you've wasted your day. You wasted your time. Thank you for coming. But, it, you know, if those two don't stack up, I'm sorry. It's a non-event. And I'm, it's not just me saying that, but one of the Bible writers says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. <laughs> he doesn't beat around the bush, does he? I mean, it's really plain. And then he actually says... If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So, my friends, it's it's about truth and relevance. Both are absolutely essential. So I'm going to pick up on the account of the resurrection from John's gospel. Uh, By the way, just a a little note about um, the New Testament. John's gospel is in the New Testament. We're going to chapter 20 in, in a moment. I want to say... You know, historically, this is the most accurate document. If you have a Bible in your hands, uh, particularly the New Testament, it is the most accurate document of all documents, of all ancient documents. I could go through a number of names you wouldn't recognize, but you might recognize Caesar's Gallic Wars, uh, Homer's Iliad. You know, it, it stands head and shoulders in terms of its accuracy, verifiability, yeah, it, is the, it is the book. So let's, let's think we're not playing with um, 
make up stories here. This is absolutely where it's at. So, John chapter, uh, John chapter 20, and, and we're going to look at, and I'm going to take you through little by little, um, in John chapter verses 1 and 2, early on the first day of the week, whilst it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they, where they put him. We've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Uh, on, a, you know, on a number of occasions, whilst Jesus was with them, he said that he would have to be, he would have to suffer. It says uh, one, Luke records this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and he must be killed. And on the third day raised to life. Now Jesus had said that on a number of occasions. You'll find this in all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He says this. It's the first day of the week. First day of the week in the Middle East. My parents used to work in the Middle East. First day of the week is a Sunday. Their weekend is a Friday and a Saturday. Just if you didn't know that, that's, that's the first day of the week. It's the Sunday. And, uh, and it's the third day. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Third day. It's third day. And Mary gets to the tomb. She sees it's empty. It's the third day, and she goes, of course. Why? Wow, it's the third day. How could I forget? It's the third day, of course. You know, he said the third day, it's the third day. Wow, how did I miss that? Silly me. How? She doesn't do any of that. I mean, you probably noticed that. She doesn't do any of that. Her question is, where's the body? That's her question. Where's the body? She runs back to Peter and disciples, and the first thing she says is they've stolen his body. Mary believed, like everybody else believed. Now, when somebody dies, they're dead, and they stay dead. Luke records that they brought spices to the tomb where they would honor and, and, and put, you know, to honor the body. That's what they, they were there for, a dead body. They had seen miracles. They had heard his teachings. I don't know if you knew, but Gandhi said, Jesus' teachings were the most wonderful words that ever co- were spoken from a man's lips. Most wonderful, particularly Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He just said, it is, they are without equal. Absolutely without equal. Great teacher, even prophet, they had seen wonderful healings. But this, this was way out of their league. This they were not expecting. Not expecting. Listen, Jesus, when Jesus was arrested, the disciples didn't hang around. Now, I know Peter did for a while, but after a while, it got a little bit hot. And he decided he's out of here. They didn't hang around. They were in hiding. They were afraid. 
They believed that dead people stay dead. Sometimes we can be so arrogant in today's culture. Sometimes we get so arrogant in today's culture. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia, uh, the Narnia stories and Narnia books, I mean, he's a brilliant, a brilliant thinker, this man. He described one of our problems as chronological snobbery. Let me just unpack that a moment. Stay with me. Chronological snobbery. It's the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate of our age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is therefore discredited. In a nutshell, it's where we deem previous generations and times as backward, unsophisticated, and gullible. I hear this all the time. And um, please, can I suggest here that we don't put that label on these people because they believe the same as you do, that dead people stay dead. Three days is definitely dead. So being raised from the dead was, wasn't conceivable in their worldview. You could be a Roman, you could be a Greek, you could be a Jew. It just wasn't conceivable. That's why they're asking the question, where's the body? Where's the body? Whatever you do with Jesus, you have to ask serious questions. You can't dismiss him. I, I'm, I'm really serious here. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. That is not an idea. That is an, that's a historical event. Fact. Absolute fact. Greek, Roman, Jewish, Christian writers all documented the fact that he lived and was crucified. You cannot dismiss Jesus into the realms of mythology. Let me say, if you do, and I did this when I was younger, I was just a myth, you know, just a myth. I did this, look, if you do that, (laughs) let me just say this, it'll undermine your credibility, not his. All serious historians have no problem with his life and death. And, and then the big question is around the resurrection, you see. He is the most famous person who ever lived. You do a service to yourself to look into it. History revolves around him. Our character is before Christ, after Christ. I mean, it's just, he is the most famous person who ever lived and deserves our attention. These writers here have not got a fully-fledged account of the resurrection. The reason they are so authentic is because they wrote what they saw. Now, researchers have looked into the writings of the Gospels, and that's how people wrote to, to write that. It's not a novel. It's not a fiction. They see that that is authentic writing as to people wrote what they saw, and that is that, that's, that's a major part of, as they, this is a, a verifiable historical document. Much more than that, let me just say this. In a patriarchal society, in a patriarchal society, it was not helpful to have women as your first witnesses. Now, I'm not doing a gender thing here, so 
Be nice to me, please. But I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's not, it was unhelpful to have women as your first witnesses. It undermined your whole argument because women, their testimony was not valid in any court of law. So the authenticity here is that it wrote what they saw. They didn't tamper with the facts. They didn't tamper with the evidence. If you were a New Testament writer then, you might have thought, now hang on a minute. If I wrote that the women were the first people to see him, perhaps I ought to just take that out. You know, this is going to undermine the document here. No, they wrote what they saw. They didn't tamper with the evidence. Because what was inconceivable happened. Something happened to them. That's the point. Jesus appeared to them. The best, the best case you need in a case is an eyewitness. Jesus appeared to people individually. He appeared to them in groups. And he appeared to people in a crowd. As many as 500 saw him on one occasion. Listen, they saw, they heard, they touched him. They were eyewitnesses. If this is, in other words, th- what I'm laying the foundation is, this is true. This is true. Blaise Pascal is a, a French philosopher, and he said, the reason I believe in Jesus is because I believe in witnesses who get their throats cut. Let me just say that again in case you missed it. Uh, the reason I believe in Jesus is because I believe in witnesses who get their throats cut. John, apart from John, who lived a martyred life, they all died a martyr's death, every one of them. Not with each other. They're all separated from each other at their different times of death. They didn't even pull off the courage of one another. They all died alone. These are the same men who did a runner. These are the same men who were locked behind closed doors because they were afraid. They're also the same men who in the same place, Jerusalem, proclaimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. They didn't go off to a mountain to get this revelation. They didn't go somewhere else to proclaim it. Right there and then in the place, in Jerusalem, where it happened, they proclaimed this. They proclaimed this so much to the effect that on the first time that Peter preached, 3,000 people responded because they responded because they knew it was true. God had broken into their hearts. There was no evidence to the contrary. These disciples saw, heard, touched him, raised from the dead. It's no wonder, Christians, you come in here and you hear that he has raised from the dead, he has risen, and you all got your arms out here. That's true. Because it's true. It's so wonderfully true. Sometimes I, I think we're too comfortable with Easter. You know, we, we, and we say, and thank you for all your you know, happy Easter greetings and all the rest of it. I appreciate that very much. It, it's nice. I think the early, early Christians, you know, they're, they're, um, what would have surrounded them would have been uh, words like terrified, anguish, o- overwhelming joy. That would have probably been more appropriate for the early believers. 
Christianity is only relevant if it's true. Here, why? Why would you base your lie, your life on a lie? Why would you do that? You know, people use phrases like this. You must, Christians must have heard this, they must have heard this phrase. You, you know, um, I'm really pleased for you. I've become a Christian and ta-da. Well, I'm really pleased for you. I mean, if it works for you, I'm, that's great. I'm really glad. And then and perhaps others would say, um, I, I am very glad for you. If it meets your needs and helps you, I'm really pleased. That's great. I'm, I'm glad of that. Well, why, why would you be glad of that unless it was true? Why would you be happy for somebody to live their life around a lie? That would be weird. That would be strange. So it's true, but it, it's also relevant. So I want to have a look at Mary here. There are verses 10 to 18. And just a, I'm going to run through here. Verses 10 to 18. There's a lot going on in this passage, but I'm only going to home in on one aspect, really. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body has been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, a woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me. Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, I don't know how he did this, you know. I don't know at the inference, but, you know, Mary. I don't just like that, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not, returned, not, not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said. Told them that he had said these things to her. Well, I don't, I don't know if you've probably noticed it, but she didn't seem to recognize him. Is that, I mean, that's a, I think she doesn't seem to recognize him. She, she doesn't see him. She's got angels. This is interesting. She's got angels in front. I have no problems. Look, if we're gonna, if we're into the miraculous, I'm for angels rising from the dead. God can do what He likes. So, listen. But angels in front. We have um, Jesus nearby. She's looking for Him, and she can't see Him. Why? Because she's looking for a corpse. That's why. She doesn't see Him. What are you looking for? That's the question, isn't it? Jesus says, who are you looking for? I wonder what you're looking for. I wonder what sort of Jesus you're looking for. Such a good question, you know. 
Some people want a distant Jesus. Just over there, please. Um, somehow like a backdrop, you know, like this black cloth, some sort of backdrop to my life that's behind there but doesn't interfere with my life going on here, right here and now. Perhaps, perhaps that's the sort of Jesus some people are looking for. Perhaps it may be an insurance policy. You know, I can't believe in random choice. That is just too, I just can't get it. I can't get my head around a random choice. No, there must be, there must be a God somewhere. I mean, I, I, it's just a good option. I don't know who he is, but I, I mean, it's, that's the option. I, I'm, I'll go for that. It's a good option. Here's the point. He finds her. That's the point. It's Jesus that breaks into her life. That's how it happens. However you may have come here or however your journey along the Christian life, Jesus was always drawing you. Jesus was always starting your journey. Always. You, he initiates, we respond. Favorite line of mine. He initiates, we respond. It's never the other way around. It's always him who starts it. It's always been this way, my friends. Jesus has to reveal himself to Mary. She can't see him. That is the grace of God. Jesus has to reveal himself to us. We cannot see him. Why? Because he says we were dead. Ephesians says we were dead. But now we've been made alive. Dead people can't see. Dead people can't respond. But he makes us alive. Big difference. Massive difference. That's called grace. Grace is undeserved favor. That means favor that you don't deserve. He does it. This is the grace of God, my friends. It's, it's marvelous. He breaks into your world. You don't break into his. He breaks into yours. It's on his terms, not your terms. You want a distant Jesus. You want a distant Jesus. He's not going to do that with Mary. He says to her, Mary. That's a great word. Mary, of course, is so personal. He won't do distant stuff. Opens her eyes, speaks to her. I wonder if you've... God has spoken to you. I wonder if you're searching like this lady, Helen Keller. She's blind, deaf, mute. And she learned it through the patient and loving guidance of Anne Sullivan to communicate. First through touch, then through speech. When Anne Sullivan first tried to teach her about God, Helen said, I already know about him. I just don't know his name. That's us. There's an instinctive knowledge of God. And knowing that is so deep that language, image, photos won't do. It's, it's a vague knowing. It's like a shadow, like a rumor. And he breaks in and reveals himself to us. And he breaks into her life. And he will break into your life too. Christianity is not rules to live by or a doctrine to agree with. It's a person to be followed. And he is the resurrected, risen Jesus Christ. And he won't be kept at arm's length. It's personal. It's true. But it's so relevant, my friends. Mary's world is transformed. She holds on to him. She turns to him. I mean, her grief is broken. 
death hasn't had the final word. I went to a funeral this week. She was a she's an amazing Christian lady. I thought if I could do in my lifetime what she's done in maybe the last five or ten years of her life, I would think I might have got somewhere. I mean, she was an astonishing, astonishing woman. Um, and I realized that at home, they will have her death certificate. But when they spoke of her, her whole family and friends, and they spoke of her, you knew she had an eternal life certificate. She had it. And they were so sure that they were going to see her again. Why? Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And he has conquered death. And there will be a day when we will meet with him completely. Jesus broke into the grieving and the misery of Mary. I wonder what you've got going on in your life. I'm going to take the opportunity a little bit later to pray for people. And one of the things I wanted to do is that, you know, life is brutal. Absolutely brutal at times. It's just we do things we wish we'd never done. We get caught up in things that actually was not our problem anyway. Life is so random at times and so brutal and harsh and miserable at times. Jesus breaks into her grief. And if there's anyone here in that sort of place where, you know, you're feeling the brutality of life, when we ask you to come, come forward that people would stand with you and pray with you. Because it's a tough life out there. I understand. We get that. He breaks into her grief. And then there's Thomas. So one is with Mary, so personal, and he breaks in and lifts the grief. And she hangs on to him. And then there's Thomas. So Thomas somehow missed it. You know, when Jesus appeared to all the other disciples, um, Thomas was going to have none of it. I don't know why Thomas missed it. All the other guys, they happened to be in the same place. Jesus appeared to them, but... Thomas misses it. Maybe he went for a takeaway. Maybe he was having a haircut. I don't know. He's just not there. And he knows he wasn't there. So let's read that account just quickly, shall we? Verse 25 of chapter 20. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I think you need him to say that when he's resurrected and just arrives among you, you know. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Uh, just, we all know him as Doubting Thomas. And um, 
what is clear is he was not going to believe. I mean, he was not. I don't know where you guys have been, but I'm not going to be hoodwinked. I'm not going to believe. I mean, just think for a moment. He's been in the full flood of what Jesus has done for three and a half years. I mean, he's been on that ministry. He's been on that glory train. It's been wonderful. But it all ended that Friday. It all ended that Friday. Yet his friends have all seen Jesus. It's as if he doesn't want to believe. It's almost like he's belligerent. He knows these guys. And they're not having him on. He just knows. Unless I see nail marks, put my hand in his side, I'm not going to be part of this. I don't, I don't, I don't, whatever evidence you've got, I'm not going to be part of it. This is the truth. Most people don't really want to follow Jesus. And that's, that's the truth of my life. I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to do it. I didn't think he was who he was anyway, so I don't want to follow, but I didn't want to follow him. Most people don't want to follow Jesus, even, even if it's true. Thomas Nagel is a well-known atheist philosopher. He says, the reason I don't believe in God is because I don't want the universe to be like that. That's a very honest thing to say. Very honest thing to say. Very clever guy, very sharp. He argues against a lot of the foolish arguments that atheists use against God, saying none of them hold any water and don't make any sense. He he just doesn't want there to be a God. That's where he stands. C.S. Lewis again says this. He said, I was the most reluctant convert in Christendom. I felt I was backed into a corner. I, I, I I was looking for escape. My eyes were darting here and there. There must be a way out of this. But he knew. And he had to make a response. I wonder if that's you. I wonder if that's you. If it's true, it's relevant, my friends. We've just done a series on the big objections. And you'll find that on our website. If you're new here and, and you, had, you have objections about God, church, Christianity, if it helps, look on our website because we just responded to the whole thing about science and evidence. Um, we responded to suffering. responded to the whole matter of hell. Uh, why Christianity, you know, outside of other religions, why Christianity? We, we respond to all of those things. So um, if that's you, check it out on our website. But better still, I do want to say better still, you know, come to the Alpha course. You can ask your questions on Alpha course, just as Kenny said. You can ask your questions, any question. You can look at the whole aspect of it. You can do a serious job. People do have questions. You don't, you'll find you won't have to leave your brains at the door. This faith is not mindless. It's stacked on something that's got weight and substance. There are powerful arguments to be considered about Jesus. I love the way Jesus responds to Thomas. Thomas wants nothing to do with him. Jesus wants everything to do with him. Thomas is backed off and Jesus has come in. It's just so wonderful that he does that. Jesus is there because Thomas is there. I love the scene. Put your finger. Go on, put your finger here. Do you know what word here is? It's very close. Here. This is how close he was. Just put your finger here. Go on, put your finger here. I wonder if he did. <laughs> you know, I don't know. How, how kind of Jesus to do this. 
How can I to come to him? Do you not think he'll come to you? Do you not think he'll do that to you? Do you not think he'll come that close to you? Do you not think he knows your name? This could be a moment for you. This was their Easter, but it can be your Easter. Put your finger here. My Lord, my God. Jesus knows where they are. You know, you might have backed off Christianity said, do you know what, I'm, I'm having a sabbatical from Christianity. So I'm just having, a, I'm having a, a year off. I'm doing a student year off, gap year from Christianity. I'm having a gap year from Christianity. If you've done that, and I have, I did, fi- I did five years of gap year. It's not a great place, I tell you. I did more stuff in that five years than I've ever done before. It's not a great place. Actually, it's a sickening place. You feel humiliated for what you've done. I mean, shame isn't the word. And you carry this bag of guilt. My friends, Jesus comes for Thomas. He comes for him. And he'll come for you. And if you've had a gap year, or two, or ten, or whatever, you can come again today. Because he's reaching out to you. Come on. Put your finger here. Come, come. I'll meet you. I'll meet you where you are. His love is astonishing. You know, on the cross, Jesus took all the crud of your life. All that stuff. I have never felt so clean in all my life. When I responded to Jesus Christ, I didn't realize how stained I was. And then to be clean. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. He died for our sins. Where sin now, sin does not rule. And it won't have the final say. He gives us new life. Life bruises us, confuses us. But Jesus is still reaching to you. This was their Easter. This is your Easter. I want you to take it. Lastly, let me finish with this. Bill Moore grew up in poverty and alcohol. Um, he, was, he shot a man for $5,000. He was put on death row. And in that prison, he found Christ. And then his life changed. And all the bitterness and hatred in a bank account of this stuff just went. Jesus dealt with it. This man had a cell. It was the most safest place in the prison. He was known as the peacemaker. And people from inside the prison would come to Bill Moore. And he would counsel them and bring the peace of God into their lives. Churches heard about Bill Moore. And they started, I like this bit. They started sending their people to prison. That they may go free. And he brought peace and broke into their lives. And changed their lives through Jesus Christ. Bill Moore got taken off the death row. He had his uh, life sentence rescinded. He, he even met and had reconciliation and was accepted by the family of the man he killed. This man, why, how, and they asked him, why, how did that, why, how does that happen? And his answer was, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ transformed his life. And he will do the same for you and for me. Well, I got to ask the band to come up. 
He is, what I'm saying is, he is true. This is true. And this, my friends, is, it just, it works. This is true. And it's relevant. And in a moment, I'm just going to give you a snapshot of the relevance of Jesus' life amongst a number of people here. I, we could have done this right across the board, but a number of people, and we're just going to bring their relevance to you, and you can see not only is Jesus true, but he is relevant. He makes a difference in people's lives. And uh, after that, I'm going to just offer a time of prayer for people. I would like a time of prayer. Maybe you're like Mary, and life has bruised you and beaten you, and we want to pray for you. It may be that this is the first time you've heard about this Jesus Christ, and you are desperate to know it. And it may be you've been on a gap year, and do you know what? It's time for that to end. You need to come home and be with him.